to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Bullock, and as always, we like to talk about things related to leadership, crisis management, business continuity, disasters, resilience, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Bullock there, so I'm really easy to find and I do respond to everything I get. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the channel so we can continue bringing you fantastic guests like today. Many of you will know that I love to read, and I read all sorts of things for education purposes, uh, entertainment, and just basic uh, knowledge. Anything can get my hands on, I love to read. And I came across a book that I thought would be of great benefit to all of uh, the viewers and listeners, because we talk a lot about leadership in our industry and the new ways of doing things. And I thought this would make for a great topic. And I'd like to welcome to show the author of Leader as Healer, Mr. Nicholas Yanni. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. Uh, It's a real pleasure to be here. And congratulations on the book. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. There's some great, great uh, points and uh, comments you have in here. We're going to talk about a few of them today. But before we get to that, now I know I've got your biography and we've chatted a little bit back and forth on email. Could you take a minute or two and tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got into what you do? Right. Okay. Very brief headline. So what I do, Alex, is I work with um, CEOs, senior leaders, uh, partly one-to-one, but mainly in group work. And I do that in different countries. I do it online. I teach at the IMD Business School in Switzerland, world number one business school. And I take people on a very experiential journey. And that's really the core of my work, because I believe we get stuck a lot of the time in narrative. So our minds are constantly creating narrative. And so my work is a it's like crossing a bridge from narrative to experience. And I put narrative out here because it's often disconnected from my actual experience. So that's the simplest way of putting it. And at the same time, that's a very, very big bridge to cross. But when we cross that bridge, everything changes. So that's basically what I do. It's taken me the best part of uh, 40, 45 years to be able to do what I do. Um, I started in the theater, actually, because I was brought up in a show business family. My father was a a famous film producer. So um, not wanting to follow the father, I went into theatre and spent 20 years in theatre. Actually, I would say exploring theatre as a spiritual path in the sense of 
what were the highest states that the actor could go into? A little bit like in sports, everyone speaks about the zone. Mm -hmm. So how was that for the actor? What was it like when the actor would really open and their whole mind, body, heart system would go online and they'd be like kind of on fire, even if it was very quiet, but it's just an extraordinary level of intensity, presence, emotionality. So I devoted 20 years to studying that and to really studying the pathways that made that more consistent because every performer knows it. Actually, every person has moments of that. But in the arts world, you want to be able to do that more regularly. So that was my career path until a small group of us started working with executives. And that happened at the end of the 90s. And that's a whole story in itself. But there was a gradual transition from the theatre to executive development, such that in 2001, a small group of us left the theatre and created what then became a a very well-known consultancy called Olivier Mythodrama, which I left about five years ago to really pursue, you know, 100% my own work. That's the headlines. And that led to Leader as Healer. Yes. Yeah. So for, <laughs> for many years, the core of my work, and still is, was what I would call presence, but real presence, not, not some kind of charisma. Mm-hmm. Real presence, meaning I'm really here. I'm really here. And I'm really available on all levels. And Leader as Healer was a, a, a phrase that, as the as these things do kind of dropped in about four years ago. Oh, what's that? You know. Yeah. <laughs> so I started listening. I mentioned it to a couple of CEO clients, you know, half expecting them saying, Oh, come on. And they were like, Yes, yes, yes. So everyone I spoke to about it had a huge yes. And one of my biggest supporters is a man called Michael Watkins, who wrote The First 90 Days. It's a kind of Bible in the business world. And he said, Nicholas, write a book, write a book. So um, I struggled and I wrote. And uh, you, as you kindly said, you have the book. So it's been very well received. I think it's very timely. I think five years ago, a book with the title would have been easily you know, cast aside, but there is something about the title now that just has huge resonance because we're in a broken time. Yeah. We are in a time of of arguably collapse. And if ever healing was more needed in the broadest sense of the word, this is the time, I believe. It's true. With, With COVID, COVID has turned so many different aspects uh, about things that we kind of took for granted or that we were so entrenched in and didn't know we were so entrenched in and turned all those things on its head. Exactly. You know, right. and, and we're, <clears throat> I think we're in, uh, in many industries, regardless of what you do, I think we're in our uncharted territories. I absolutely we can't I, do where we can't do the same things we used to do. We have to do them differently and seeing things differently. And it's changed 
as an individual that's changed my perspectives on my priorities and, and what I want to accomplish and how I do it. And I think that's happening everywhere. And you met, you pointed out CEOs as well. I 100% agree. Um, I have CEOs saying to me, literally verbatim, I cannot do strategy the way I used to. I'm in a new territory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what the book is also, it's fundamentally about the fact that we got hugely over-dominated by thinking. That's my core message. And I love what Einstein asked when he, he asked, is thinking your master or your servant? And in 95% of the leaders I meet, and I meet leaders from every culture, thinking has become the master. And yeah. it's totally different when we do the inner work where we relocate ourselves, is how I phrase it, experientially into a much deeper inner location within which I have a very sophisticated thinking capacity. And I also have a lot of the rest of me online. I mean, I typically start working I was at the IMT a while back, and I was talking with a professor there, and I said to her, you know, I normally start by saying to everyone, you don't seem to realize you're operating with only about 50% of your full capacity. And she said to me, Nicholas, it's only 20%. (laughs) Okay, right. (laughs) Maybe I need to be bolder. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my key message. And we've normalized that, Alex. That's the huge problem. And when you normalize something, you don't realize. I think you alluded it to in, in what you said a moment ago. We got used to working in a certain way. So we don't realize that that is much smaller than it could be. Mm-hmm. We need to wake up. We need wake up. That's why my work is so experiential. We have to feel something different. And then we're like, oh, okay, I think I get it. I get it. It's a bit like, you know, we walk around with our shoulders up here around our uh, like this, and then we have an amazing massage and our shoulders go like that. Well, it's only in that moment that you think, oh, I'm walking around like that, and I didn't realize, because yeah. it was normal. It's actually as simple as that, in a way, except that the waking up becomes a complex process, but the essence is that. Well, and on that note, I want to jump into the book, because as I mentioned before we started recording, there's a quote I wanted to get your uh, opinion on and what what you meant by this. Um, I know we have our agenda and we were going to talk about a few things, but the more I read this quote, the more I wanted to ask you about it. So I'm going to start here. This is a path of restoration through which we reintegrate previously exiled aspects of our nature, physical, emotional, and transpersonal. Can you explain what you meant by that? Thank you, Alex. That's a great starting point. So the way I see things is that we've got used to, starting with our school education, we get used to what I call a narrow bandwidth. And it's the way I function and it's the way I perceive the world. And in that narrow bandwidth, our linear thinking mind has predominance. 
and other parts of us have more or less gone offline or into exile. For instance, when we were children, we were intensely physical. So we felt life moment to moment in our body. We felt the world, we sensed the world. Indigenous cultures have an extraordinary relationship with the world through the body. We exiled that as we got narrower and narrower. Most people, most adults are walking around in what I would call a disembodied function. They don't really feel their body. Even if you go to the gym, you see people doing things to their body. That's not the same as, I feel my body, I'm here. So, and I think we know that because you see the, you know, how many people are drawn to yoga, tai chi, you know, to different kinds of body work, qigong, all of that. Mm -hmm. We've exiled a lot of our emotional life. We had to, and this is a big part of my work, what's now called trauma-informed leadership. Every single person I meet, myself included, we had to close down a lot of our emotions as we were growing up because they were not well received, they were not welcome. So we put them in exile. And uh, in organizational life, that's a huge issue because I'm operating with a whole part of my life energy offline. And it means I can't really feel empathy or compassion. I can't really feel you because relationship means I feel you, I don't just hear your words. So that's the body, that's the emotions. The transpersonal, this in a way is the deepest part, Alex, because when we are operating primarily in our thinking mind, first of all, we need to realize that our thinking mind does not experience anything. I cannot experience the world through my thinking. So I've not only do I not have my body and my emotions online, I don't have this deeper, spacious sense of something much bigger than the world here. This is what every tradition has guided us to, every tradition, East, West, through meditation practice, through prayer practice. This is not about belief. This is about an experience of life in a much more what physics now calls the unitive field. An experience of much less separation. This is more difficult to speak about because it's by its nature fundamentally um, empty, but it's not an emptiness of depression. It's an emptiness actually of enormous kind of numinosity in a way. Where I walk into nature and I, I, I stop, I stop my unconscious, oh, that's beautiful, that's a tree, that's this, that's this. And I, I'm in a deeper silence. That's what I mean by the transpersonal a much deeper silence. And again, I think 
the whole uptake of mindfulness worldwide is an unconscious attempt to reconnect with that. It's just that it stops short in a lot of cases. Because the purpose of mindfulness is not to be less stressed. I mean, that's how it's used. And of course, it has that effect, but it's actually to open our consciousness much more deeply. And, you know, everyone touches this. I don't meet anyone, hardly anyone, who, when they understand what I'm talking about, has not had experiences where they suddenly feel more one with everything, where time slows down. Almost everyone has moments of that. Mm -hmm. So that's the transpersonal as well. But we're in a we've come to live in such a way that those are exceptional experiences. I believe that's partly why we're in such a crisis. Those are so exceptional, so far out of the norm. I don't I think it should be that that's actually more the norm. Imagine how it would be if we lived in a world where we were as a, as normality connected as normality, we felt connected to everything. And occasionally we got disconnected. <laughs> that would be a very different world. I personally believe we're on that edge. I think that's where humanity is. We're on that edge. We're like at the end of this, this disconnected way of, of living. And it's getting very you know, the symptoms of that are getting worse and worse. And most probably they're going to get worse, unfortunately. And that's one, one of the reasons why I wanted to reach out to you about this, because when we talk in my industry with disasters and crises and uh, resilience, uh, I've been seeing for a, not a long time, but a little while now, that, you know, th those are all great and you can manage all that stuff, but it's got to start with you. Right. You know, if you're not aware of your surroundings and what's going okay. on and what people are saying and doing and why they're doing this, yes. then how are you going to get on this path <laughs> of resilience? Right. I couldn't agree more. And let if I it just comes to me to say this, let me give one definition of resilience and see if you 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 relate to it. We have to shift from I find my identity from the outside to actually my identity is not dependent on the outside because the outside is getting more and more chaotic. If I'm looking for a stability inside me based on the outside, I'm going to be lost. Yes. That's a very fundamental change in a human being developmental change. I, I am so glad you said that because uh, at a conference in uh, November in London, uh, believe it or not, uh, I said, you know, resilience I, to me, uh, and maybe it's my growing, is self-awareness. Mm. It's got to start with me before I can project that or pursue it somewhere else and or with others or within my organization, anything. It's got to, I've got to change first. Exactly. If I don't change, there's no way I can create something that looks different because then, as you said earlier, there's a disconnection. Yes. So when I'm trying to get my organization resilient and all the operations, you know, interconnected and things like that, but I'm not connected to it. Right. You know, I'm not connected to myself. So how it's can I create that? 
we ignore the shaky ground and try and build everything on very shaky ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. That, that made me happy, and I agree with you one hundred percent. I'm so glad. You know, right. that that means I'm on the right path if I'm starting to think like that. So that makes right. me feel good as a person. So right. Thank you for that. <laughs> so you also talk about um, the two models of leadership in your book. Yeah. The first being executor and this the other being healer. Yeah. What's the difference between the two? What's an executor? What's a healer? I would say they're literally two completely different ways of of leading um one the first is the one we've got used to and it's it is doing 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 fixing fixing thinking 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 it's the everything i said about the narrow bandwidth mm. and of course it's had a lot of success up to a certain point but it is not in any way fit for purpose anymore because as we all know, as the world gets more and more complex and volatile and unpredictable and unexpected, <laughs> um, that way of working is that way of thinking and being is just not inadequate anymore. Because our thinking and our doing always wants to make everything predictable. And it wants to reduce everything to the understandable and the known. That's a very limited way of functioning. That's leader as executor as well. It's also power in a more dominant, more abusive way often. It's like wielding a sword, but with not a lot of finesse. So leader as healer is a totally different paradigm and a totally different uh, interior because leader as healer is someone who has worked to bring parts of them back online, parts of themselves, who has a much deeper coherence. So leader as executor will have very little coherence in the sense of they may speak, but you will feel, yeah, but that's not actually what you're feeling inside. There's a disconnect between words, action, and the interior. And that sows fragmentation. So leader as healer is a, is a leader who is fundamentally more coherent inside and therefore creates teams and cultures that are fundamentally more coherent and uses not so much a sword, but a scalpel. And, you know, like any good surgeon, a, a good surgeon takes things out, but creating minimum damage. So that's also leader as as healer. Leader as healer has a way bigger bandwidth, a way bigger capacity to relate, uses thinking, intuition, feeling, sensing, and above all, you might say, is comfortable with being in unknowing. This is, I think, a essential capacity now for leaders. Can a leader hold a team to be in let's not fix this too quickly because we'll just fix it in the ways we already know. Can we actually sit and tolerate unknowing? Can we admit we feel anxious and stop trying to fix it and actually 
stay with that. Because in my experience, time and time again, when groups do that, a much higher level of thinking awakens. That's when we have real insights, real innovation, real uh, deeper understanding, which is never what we would expect. So I love your preparing for the unexpected, because real insights are not things we expect. They're like, oh, the idea came to me, as we love to say, yeah. Mm. And it's not an idea I had before. <laughs> and I think we need that more and more. We need senior teams. We need organizations to be able to hold themselves in unknowing and listening and until a higher level of thinking emerges, which it always does when we stop trying to fix too quickly. And believe it or not, on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking today with Nicholas Yanni, the author of Leader as Healer. Join us for segment two. We're having a great inspirational talk here, and I'm really enjoying this. So we'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fulick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today, we are talking with Nicholas Yanni, the author of Leader as Healer. Nicholas, great first segment. Thank you so much. I find it uh, very inspirational listening to you. Um, and I hope a lot of crisis leaders and resilience leaders out there are really paying attention on how they can really move things forward within their organizations. I wanted to touch on something else that's in your book that's uh, an entire chapter on emotions. Why are emotions so important when it comes to a, a leader? This is a big topic, Alex, and, and it's one that I see is not very well addressed generally. Um, so first of all, we are deeply emotional creatures. And we had to, as we were developing, we had to close down a lot of our emotions. 
because, you know, fundamentally as a child, let's say I get very scared, normal. I get scared. I come to my caregiver, mother or father, and I say, hey, I'm really scared. Now, if he or she either ignores me or says, well, there's no need to be scared. Why are you scared? Or even like boys shouldn't be scared, all that kind of stuff or whatever. In that moment, my whole emotional life is invalidated. And I have only one choice, really, then. I have to contract, which I do physically, and I have to close my emotions. That is a fundamental definition of trauma. All the times in my life when something happened and I could not process it. Because if my caregiver said, oh, it's okay, I understand you're, you're scared, just come here. It's okay, it's okay, just feel it. It'll pass. Then we might say, okay, now let's see, is there anything to be scared of? But the whole emotional experience has been processed. Now, cut to a leader who's 40 or 50 or whatever it is, and then she or he is actually throughout the day having triggers that are actually triggering these, because those unfelt emotions don't go away. They're inside us. So if you imagine we are a whole energy system, then whole parts of our energy get frozen but they live inside us, they don't go away. So I'm already operating in a, with a lot less of my life energy available. But then those emotions get triggered, but because I haven't processed them, I still don't. That's when we get a lot of dysfunctional behavior. So as I say to when I work with groups, if someone is behaving very dysfunctionally, and we obviously have many examples, there is normally only one reason. Emotions are being stirred within them that they are not aware of and not addressing. So we, we have it. So even on a very simple example, and it gets, I mean, it's a big topic, so we'll just touch on the basics of it. Let's say you're in a team meeting and you're the leader, and there's a lot of anxiety in the room, as is pretty normal now. So if you are not mature, you will ignore that. You will go on trying to have the strategic conversation on top of an energy field here that has a lot of anxiety. And you see what I'm doing. I am therefore like this, thinking, thinking, thinking. Mm. Now, a mature leader who's done enough of their inner work will simply say, and they will change their tone as they do so, they'll say, just a minute, everyone, there's a lot of anxiety here. It's natural. I'm losing sleep sometimes. Let's just acknowledge that together. That's all that's needed. Because in that moment, everyone's nervous system can go, thank you. <laughs> I don't have to fight that because this is a key message that we were often very far away from. Our emotions do not need fixing. 
They do not need transforming. They do not need healing. They just need to be allowed and acknowledged. This is so fundamental and we're so far away from that. I was with a senior team, I won't say who or where, recently. And the night before, I had dinner with them. And actually, a woman, one of the senior leaders, said to me, Nicholas, you need to understand, most of the men in this team would rather die than show vulnerability. Hmm. That's actually, that was extreme, but only an extreme version of what is very common. I am not allowed to say I'm sad. I'm not allowed to say I'm frightened. That has to change. People have to be allowed. We're not talking about therapy. We're not talking about fixing. We're just talking about being allowed to include our emotions. And any high-performing team will do that. And any team that doesn't will not do that to their cost because their whole nervous system is in contraction and therefore the quality of our critical thinking is diminished. Now for the individual leader, if I'm doing deep coaching with someone and I've had the privilege of doing some wonderful work with, with, with some great CEOs, we go deep into what they're carrying inside. And that's where we understand that our emotional body is composed of my personal experience, like my childhood, what I, what I was not allowed to feel when I was growing mm. up. It's also composed of my ancestral lineage, because what my parents and grandparents couldn't process comes to me. This is well recognized now. I'm not born neutral. I'm born into a fragmented energy field. And I, I take that in. It also contains collective sometimes. Any African-American, and I've coached some very wonderful African-American CEOs, at a certain level, deep in their DNA, they're carrying an imprint. And it affects them but they don't realize it's affecting them until we open that box. That, so when someone is doing deep inner work, and I believe obviously senior leaders need to do that with a good coach, they open, we touch those different dimensions. And it's a very, very transformational to do that because whole parts of us suddenly come online again. Whole parts of us that were frozen. It's so we go alive. from simply let's acknowledge we're feeling anxious to my deep inner work as a leader, mm -hmm. a true leader as healer, I have to face my inner trauma. Is that why we see so many leaders during crises or disasters very stoic and not really feeling or showing compassion or anything like that is because they're having that uh they're frozen inside they they you know they're they're told they're don't admit to anything don't don't show vulnerability or anything like that and that, it always comes back to bite them when when they don't of course because they're frozen inside yeah. 
So this is, I just want to make one point because it's very core for me that real leadership development has to go on two streams. One is the mindfulness, the meditation. I'm mean, talking other than the normal um, cognitive capacity, which of course has to develop. But there has to be one stream, which is the meditative, the mindful, the subtle body work, the yoga, the qigong. That's one stream. The parallel stream, which is the one that's much less attended to, has to be this inner emotional work. It's much more difficult, and, and that's why it's not attended to. And when I teach coaching, as I do, it's a very core part of, of the work. And it takes a lot of it takes a lot of inner practice as a coach to be able to hold the space for someone to go to uncomfortable emotions. But it's essential. The meditative is not enough. It it, it sounds like that would be logical. Yeah, but we do focus on uh, leaders anyway. You know, protect our brand, protect our company, protect our employees, greater share value, make money. And yet those are all external. Exactly. As you said before, and they're not going to happen organically or uh, happen uh, the way you want them to if you haven't taken the emotional uh, considerations into account as well and looked at yourself. You're not just developing the organization, you have to develop yourself. I I, I very much agree. I, I would go so far as to say that most of the issues that we would say are out there are always a reflection of in here. Hmm. Okay. So typically, yeah. if a senior leader comes to me for coaching, they will typically, the issues they come with are out there. And I I say from the very beginning, we're going to look in in you. Because once you become more integrated, the outside will be very different. Does it make it easier to deal with? Of course. Interpret? In every way. Manage? In every way, Alex. In every way. First of all, because I have a much higher resilience. And secondly, because I understand the outside in a much more subtle way. To give a very simple example, um, and it's an exercise I often do with people I'm coaching, someone in your team is behaving in a way that seems very dysfunctional. Let's take a moment for you to really slow down and then start to feel them start to feel what's happening inside them, start to feel their inner emotional world. Don't think about it, feel it. But that's already a revelation that we can do that, not Mm -hmm. through thinking. So let's say as often is the case, I did this last week with a chairman of a board actually, and he was, and he started to feel this person, and he got so much information about how insecure they feel, etc., etc., etc. It gives you a way bigger picture. You're not looking at people as machines who are behaving badly. No, bad behavior comes from a whole inner world, 
And if you're tuned into that inner world, you have a much broader palette, let's say, on how you relate to that person, which doesn't mean you don't sometimes say you're out. <laughs> it's not about being nice, but you have a much bigger possibility with that person. So the other piece, and I'm sure this is going to uh, connect, is yes. purpose. Right. So purpose, it's a wonderful and essential topic. I would say at the core of purpose, there's a few things. One, what do I really stand for? And what do we really stand for as an organization? And even within that, I would say, do I, we stand for connection and presence and service? I, are we part of the healing that needs to come in now? Or are we still standing for the fragmentation? That's very core. Cool. What am I stand? What are we standing for? Who are we? And then within that, for an individual leader, what is the work that is mine to do? I find that to be a beautiful question. And that may take years to really live into, but it's, again, it's who am I? What are my gifts? What do I really care about? What do I really want to contribute? What gives me meaning? What's going to make my life meaningful? And then on a, another level, which may take longer to get to, what is it that is being asked of me now? Not by the outside, but by a higher intelligence. Can I listen? What is it that's being asked of me now? Or for a group, what is it that's being asked of us now? Not in terms of action necessarily, but a, a deeper level of who are we? What are we really doing? What's our next step? Can I listen to that? That takes purpose to, to another level. I couldn't help but think sometimes <clears throat> we, you know, what are we being asked um, when there are crises and disasters and emergencies and things like that. Yes. And a lot of people, leadership and organizations, <clears throat> we need to protect the brand. We need to do all these other different things. Correct me if I'm wrong, really, it seems as though first take a look at how can we relate to people? Well, we, yeah, what and, I mean. And what that I mean, establishes a stronger purpose. Yes, exactly. And can we listen deeper than those issues you gave, which are important? But maybe there's something that's needed now that I haven't thought of yet, which will actually bring all of those into more of a coherence. It's, it's detaching a bit from the immediate problems and listening more deeply, which is a beautiful thing to do because often we, if we know how to do that, we get unexpected inklings, whispers sometimes. Ah, okay. And then I, I need to contemplate. All senior leaders need to have a contemplative practice whether that's meditation, walking, exercising, all senior leaders must have a contemplative practice, something that enables them to get out of the fixing, fixing mode 
and into a deeper reflection. As I think the famous American Wallace Stevens once said, sometimes the truth depends upon a walk around the lake. It's a wonderfully poetic uh, metaphor. So all senior leaders have to have their way of taking a walk around the lake. They have to, or we're just going to get more and more lost. I just had something jump into my head. Does it make a difference for an introvert versus an extrovert? That's not a terminology I use. I find it a little bit too uh, prescriptive. Mm. I think we're all a mixture of the two. And I, I, I'm not very comfortable with fixing people. Right. You're either this or this. I think yeah. there are more fundamental human traits that we need to address. Okay. Do you have any, we've only got uh, you know, about five minutes left. Do you have any tips for leaders right now, what they may do, um, and even individuals? You know, they sure. don't have to be leaders because an, a, sure. a general employee can be a leader under sure. situations. Any things that they can start doing now yes. to yes. to uh, make make change? Yes. Well, first of all, make your development a high priority not something you do when you have time. Within that, if you don't already, start a meditative or mindfulness practice, and there are many resources that will help you. Uh, do some kind of regular body work, whether it's the more subtle versions of yoga or qigong or cardiac or aerobic. If you do cardiac or aerobic, do it connected. Don't have headphones in. Don't be looking at something else. If you go running, run and feel your body. And then also find with a mentor or a coach or sometimes a therapist, explore your emotional life. Explore which parts of your emotional life are locked away. All of this under the banner of make your development a high priority because you are going to be of much higher service to other people when you do just out of curiosity are there things we should stop doing because you mentioned a great example yes. you know, at the gym don't have the headphones you know blasting heavy metal or yes. something what yes we should take stop? great care of how we relate to social media and in most instances, spend much less time with it. I think that's a very obvious one. Mm. <laughs> and if you know Johan Harari's work on stolen focus, you will find a whole book about why we should do that. Yeah. I know social media can be a uh, wonderful thing sometimes, but it it's can addictive. Yeah. Yeah, addictive and it can uh, be detrimental, I think, to mm -hmm. people's well-being and their thinking yeah. process and their their self you know how you on think very, about yourself yes on a very simple level it make it really simple multiple times a day give yourself a moment of inner pause just with one or two deliberate breaths 
I'm here. Install that as, as regular um, pauses during the day, which could take 30 seconds, no more. Before a Zoom meeting, take a moment. I'm here. I'm ready. Make that regular, 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 regular. I, I know for me, <clears throat> one of the things that I use is when I'm walking the dog. Because I'm paying attention to what he needs and what he's doing. And I find myself paying more attention to what's around me, what, what's happening. And I've become a lot calmer. I'm not thinking about, I got to go update the spreadsheet. I got to make this email. I've got to do all these other things. It's no, it's, it's just us, you know, walking down a trail, listening, you hear birds or, you know, you see squirrels and things like that. It's paying closer attention to just me and what's around me. Wonderful. Well, that's an essence of mindfulness, and I support everyone to find their version of that. Beautifully put, Alex. Nicholas, we've come to the end of our show. Thank you very much for, for joining me today. I found this really inspirational, and I, I hope a lot of people pay attention because a lot of the things you brought forward are topics that are coming up in the business continuity crisis, resilience industries. and. I don't think a lot of people know what they can do to manage those kind of situations. Right. And it, it, it really, the, the things that you brought forward, I hope gives them insight that, you know, stop looking at the external for, yes. for answers. Look in a mirror, right. <laughs> you know, look at yourself and start thinking. So thank you very much for joining us. And congratulations again on the, the book leader is healer. I, I recommend it to everybody. There's a lot of good insights in here. And of course, you know, Nicholas brought up a lot of great things. Any closing thought you'd like to share? Before I, I really enjoyed our, our, our conversation. As with any good conversation, I learned as, as we went along. And I think that's a good litmus test for real conversation, that it's fresh. And thank you because our conversation for me was fresh. Good. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I know I did. Thank mm. you so much again, Thank Nicholas. You. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.